Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. Well, I got the easy part. Jesse just gave a sermon, basically, on generosity, about being missional in Vallejo, and prayer. And now I'm going to tell you about Revelation. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited he covered some excellent basics for us all. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, we are, we're going we're gonna to cover Revelation in three weeks. Some of you are going to be super pumped because it's just going to make you feel more comfortable uh, and understand why is this book even important to me. Uh, and some of you are going to be really frustrated because you'd like us to dig down deeper and explain every single detail and go through that. There'll be a time and place for that, but it's not going to happen in the next three weeks. There's going to be a bigger view of this. Uh, I'm going to start off and, and kind of have a little bit of class, if you will, uh, and give you some explanations and some historical background and some cultural background uh, to help us understand what this was all about. And then next week, Jesse's going to be speaking. I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, and then the last week, I'm going to fix it, whatever he did. <laughs> um, <laughs> I joked with the first service. I said, uh, man, if we could talk him into sing-talking revelations like 10 crazy chapters... Whew, that would be interesting. <laughs> oh, man, what happens? Uh, that'd be fun. So uh, anyways, I've spent uh, a couple weeks a while ago, um, I knew Jesse was going to be uh, giving a message and said, well, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, well, what do you want to talk about? You're talking about uh, more stuff than I am. And I said, no, you get to pick. And I joked him. I was like, we should do Revelation. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, no, it's a joke. <laughs> no, like three weeks. So we said, all right, well, let's see what Revelation would look like in 90 minutes. So for weeks, we've had really fantastic conversation and dug in and um, had tons of conversation with just a bunch of you all uh, in this faith community to be like, what do you think of when you think of Revelation? And what does this mean to you? Why is it important? Why isn't it important? And so I gathered all those things down and I really thought this is really what Revelation is to this. If I could just say it really concisely and just kind of say, that's it, take it and go. It really comes down to is it's not so much as so little as what to do with everything, as it does about a four-year-ago conversation I had and came to this conclusion that tomorrow is another day. Not just any day, but it is a day. It will get here. There's no question about that. And the important thing to remember is that it's a simple elation, and at that, it's a good one. It's believable. It's tactile. You can reach out. And things are solid. You can move objects from one area to another. You can feel your body. You can say, I would like to move over there. And you can tell yourself, I need to move this mass of molecules through the air to that other location. That's something that we have to live with every day at will. Now, with the allocation and the understanding of the lack of of understanding, we enter into a new era of science in which we feel nothing more than so much so as to say that those within themselves, comparary or non-comparary, will figuratively figure into the folding of our non-understanding and our partial understanding to the networks of which we all draw our source and conclusions from. Revelation, right? No? That was all really just nonsense. <laughs> totally made it up. It's a few poetry and stuff. But it, for a lot of us, that's how we think of it, right? There's little snippets. We're like, I get that. Tomorrow's another day. Okay, something moved. And then we go, what? What does that even mean? What does that mean to me? And we take these things so literally. And 
That's what many of us sit in and we say, I'm just going to avoid Revelation altogether. But then it continues to pop out about every decade. It gets really exciting. You see things uh, in the movie theaters. You see billboards. Who survived um, May? Who survived May? Uh, This uh, 2012 or even 2011. You saw billboards like this. Yep, save the date. It's happening. Uh, there was the one out in Benicia here. There was the billboard, and it was fun. Uh, North Suspansi's community group and a bunch of others actually made a T-shirt that says, We Survived <laughs> the Last Day. And people get big in the talk, and all of a sudden you get the Left Behind series and Nicolas Cage and these books, and you're like, Oh, my gosh, this is what's happening. And everyone believes that the world will end one day, and many Christians use this book, Revelation, as a roadmap to the end of the world. And they see it as a literal interpretation of the future. However, this is really important. This isn't the reason the book of Revelation was written. It was written for a specific time, a specific place, and a specific reason. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to take some time to be your guide to look at what this means to the kingdom. And the first thing I want to just rescue revelation with is this the book of revelation is actually a thing of beauty and it's not to be feared the book of revelation is a thing of beauty and it's not to be feared the revelation is in this thing called the canon you may have heard this word before some of you may not have Uh, the books in the bible are in the canon which stands for the rule like the level this is what it is and so Many people ask, how did that even make it into the Bible? Why is there a reason for this? It's just weird and nonsense and scary. Uh, and there is a specific reason that it's in there. And it's because it's a thing of beauty that honors and glorifies God and who he is. And what a lot of times we dig into is that we're afraid of it, so we avoid it, and it doesn't make sense. Or why does it make sense in my life? And we're going to dig into that a little bit. One of the things I can tell you right off the bat is that revelation, that specific word, means uh, a new idea or a new thought. And the genre in which Revelation is written is called uh, an apocalyptic genre. Uh, It was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have Revelation. uh, And it was a very common stylistic way of writing when the Bible was written. People understood it was full of rich imagery. Now, we tend to think apocalyptic is like disaster, devastation, the end. That's an apocalyptic mistake Like, it's over, it's the end, you've seen movies like this, you have these in the conversations. But in this genre of writing in which Revelation was written, apocalyptic actually is defined as an uncovering, or an unveiling, or a uh, revelation, lifting up the veil to see these things so you have a new understanding of them. Not mass devastation and end, it's a new understanding of something that happened. Let me give you an example. Because it's written with thick imagery uh, and beauty. I have this little thing around my wrist that my four-year-old daughter Elsie made for me because she said she wanted to be sweet. It consists of straws of different colors um, and a uh, pipe cleaner. Uh, And so if I was going to talk about this in apocalyptic literature, I may talk about something of these plastic glowing tubes of light all connected together with this furry metal that bends wrapped around your flesh that signifies sweetness (laughs) (laughs) and deep love on a Friday because it was a craft. I don't know. (laughs) Right? So we want to take these things so literal. This is what the definition of 
Revelation and uh, this apocalyptic uh, literature is. And Revelation shouldn't motivate us with fear, but with beauty. It tends to motivate so many people with fear. We're afraid of it. It's the end. What's going to happen? It's the end times. Things have happened and they're taking place. Look, we can see them. Which president now is the Antichrist? Whatever it takes place or what's happening over across the pond and you don't even know where half these places are on the map and we're trying to put it all together as uh, a a society and um, it's motivated by fear not of beauty and if we take all the symbols in this book literally um, it can be really fearsome it is scary like don't ever read revelation to your kids at bed like if you don't ever be like let's read the bible when we go to sleep revelation (laughs) You're going to have nightmares all night. This thing is full of it. People dying, darkness, destructions, pervading the pages of this letter. The book of Revelation is a book of good news. That's really what it is. It's the book of God and his glory and his beauty and who Jesus is more than anything else. So never let fear be your motivator. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Some of you may come from the background where Revelation is your crystal ball. It's the future, and that's why we dissect it. We're like, this is, I need to know exactly how it's going to happen, what's going to happen, and what I'm going to be here for. So let's figure out, because I don't want to be here for the mess, or you're going to be here for the mess, or however it works out, uh, and when it's going to happen, because we want to be prepared. So if you're uh, one of those people who have grown up and been a part of it, and drank in that Kool-Aid, per se, fortunately none of you have, because you're here Uh, I want you to just hang with me uh, for a moment. Um, This idea of um, us taking revelation so literal is actually where much of our fault takes place. It really turns into bad theology. Let me give you an example. In 1937 of April, um, the neo-Nazis bombed Gersina, uh, which was the Spanish town and and village, um, and it decimated it. Literally, this is a picture, this is what it would look like. And we are very literal people. When we talk about a subject, we say, what does it mean? What does it look like? What did it smell like? What did it taste like? I need to see it. Draw me a picture. We're visual learners. And what I want you to understand is revelation, when it's written like this in this genre, isn't to be taken literally. Picasso was a painter, and he painted this painting as a reflection of this specific instance. This is his most famous painting. Uh, If you were to look at this painting and take it literally, much of us would look at it and say, well, what's the guy's name that was on the ground right there? Is that a boy or a girl? And why is is a child sleeping? Why is there a bull? What does the horse mean? Are the bull and the horse fighting? Is that an extra horn? Is the horse coughing something up? Why is that guy's sword broken? What happened to his sword? Wait, when did they come in? And why is that foot there? What's it connected to? Is that a window? Or is that a hole in the wall? But isn't a hole in the wall a window? We ask all these crazy weird questions. But this is what we do when we take things literal. Art was not made to be that way. Picasso's painting was not made to be that way. What this actually depicts is that incident. And when you look at it from a distance and gather it all in, that's what makes art so powerful. That's what makes images so powerful. And that's why this is one of his most famous paintings. Because you stand back and you take it all in and you gain an understanding of what's taking place in there. The literal interpretation there was there wasn't many men there because they were all fighting. It was bombed. It was devastating. And many women and children died. This paints a picture of heritage. 
that scene, whereas literally we would look at it and we would see buildings and rebel on the ground. You follow? Much like Revelation is Picasso. (laughs) When Picasso was uh, pressed to explain this painting like we want him to, right? He said this, this bull is a bull and the horse is a horse. If you give it meaning to certain things in my paintings, may be very true, but it is not my idea to give this meaning. What ideas and conclusions you have got, I've obtained too. But instinctively, unconsciously, I make the painting for the painting. I paint the objects for what they are. Okay? (laughs) So he's saying, sure, take it super literal if you want, but that's not the way it was meant to be. It was made to be understood uh, on a deeper grander understanding of this is the story in which I'm telling, much similar to Revelation. So whenever we hear about the end of the world or hear a book that pretends the last days or the future, uh, it can cause us like a ton of anxiety, a ton of fear, uh, but the book of Revelation is this thing of beauty. I really want us to walk away with that today. It's not just about that. And many people have even come to Christ because they're scared to death. It's that hellfire and brimstone smack you down at the beach or the corner, and you're like, oh, what are you talking about? That's not the Jesus I know. Um, and that's not what Revelation is as well. It was written specifically to the people, and us included, that would act here and now instead of worrying about the future. So we're going to get into a, just a couple verses real quick. We're going to actually cover the first three chapters today. Jesse's going to cover like 10 next week, and then I'll finish what's left. Uh, so starting out, the book starts uh, in verse 1, chapter 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So right off the bat, I'm going to tell you right, every week we're going to end with Jesus. This whole book is about Jesus. This is his revelation. Which God gave him to show his servants... What must soon take place? Has anyone ever noticed that word? Does it say what must take place in the 21st century? No. This was probably written around 90 AD. What must soon take place? He made it known by sending his angel to servant John. John we'll talk about in just a second. It's a guy that should be somewhat familiar to you. Who testified to the world of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, it's that guy again that we're all about. Even to all that he saw. So here's where we're at. It must take, uh, it's going to happen soon. It's not going to happen later. Uh, Because if it was written then, the people that saw it then, they'd be like, why would we care about the 21st century? And just like if it was written for us now, it's probably too late. So it was something that was to take place and to happen around that time. And there's double prophecy there, but we'll get into that. I'll leave that one for Jesse because that's just fun. (laughs) So the author is John. John is a disciple of Jesus. He wrote a handful of books in the New Testament. Um, John uh, is actually at one of the churches we're going to talk about in a moment, the church of Ephesus. He's actually sitting in the front row. And guess who's sitting next to him? Jesus' mom, Mary. John uh, was loved. He was beloved by Jesus. In fact, he was on the cross. He looked at John and said, take care of my mom. And so they headed off to Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor, the senior pastor, um, which was a product of Paul, uh, to give you a little background. And he was preaching to John, and they were leading this church together. John was involved in small groups, community projects. He continued to witness. This is no joke. And Mary was sitting there with him. Also, 
John, or this author, we know this by what's written in this book, was very familiar with Old Testament and knew the imagery and the style of this Jewish type of uh, un, uh, uh, explaining and understanding. So to understand um, Revelation, you need to be familiar with Old Testament, which the readers then were. Uh, quick example. Um, it's like when I would tell you about the dance, The Running Man. Most of you over 35 would think of like the old school, like, like the big one. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to make you do it. Uh, but you do like the, I can't even do it. Okay. If you talked about that to like uh, the younger generation, they do this weird like, that's the running man to them, right? Some of you have seen that. Uh, and then you'd go, well, that's not the running man. No, that's the running man. Do you understand how you can just get twisted in just a couple years of imagery and understanding? Same sort of deal. When this was written to them, they completely understood what this conversation was all about, which is why it can be so distant for us when we look at it literally. Uh, this author and the writer of this book was obviously a trusted leader, and his Greek was very basic, meaning his native tongue was probably Aramaic or Hebrew, uh, which would explain that would be John because it's where he was from in that region, and that Greek was something he learned because it's not complicated in his writing, which meant he probably wrote it, even though there's some people that say it was done synonymously. Um, which means basically like a ghostwriter or someone writing on behalf or with their authority. John is writing this book, Revelation, from the island of Patmos, having been banished there for witnessing to his faith. So to put it in perspective here, um, it's like he was explaining everyone who Jesus was. He was winning people over. Like I said, he was doing outreach events from his church. Uh, he was investing to others. He was leading a small group. He was pouring in and witnessing about who Jesus Christ was that he saw, he knew, he loved, and he met. Um, and people said, you need to stop doing that. You're literally changing this community, and pretty soon you're going to change the world. And so they put him on Alcatraz, on the rock. It's essentially the same thing. So you can't get off of it, and you can't get anywhere, and you can't continue to spread your message. So from there, he wrote this letter. During that time uh, that we're looking at when this was written, there was two different emperors, uh, and John was the longest-lasting disciple. As far as we know, he was the only disciple that was never martyred or killed um, for being a witness of Jesus Christ. As far as we know, he died on this island at a very old age. Before, uh, um, there was Emperor Nero, who was devastating to Christians. But following that, there was a 15-year reign, which is the most prominent idea of when this was written in this time period, probably around 90 AD, um, by the Emperor, Emperor uh, Dominatin. Um, this guy was horrible. Um, this is a statue of him, so I guess that's what he looked like. Just, just drink that in. Gives him some perspective. Um, this guy was known for causing great violence to the church. Um, and he referred to himself um, as a, I can't say it in the French way that they do it, but Dominius de Deus, something like that. It's great. Uh, but that, what that means is Lord and God. He referred to himself as Lord and God. And as he referred to himself as Lord and God, he demanded to be worshipped in the area that he oversaw as an act of loyalty to not only himself as Lord and God, but to Rome. So this is what's taking place there. 
this is the people group that's being surrounded. This is kind of the echelon of what's um, happening in the government. Uh, and uh, this is what John was writing to and kind of some of the background of that. So in Revelations, it continues in verse 3. It says this. This is really um, exciting. I'm sure some of you never really have grasped onto this, but it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what's written in, in it, for the time is what? Yeah, again, it's telling us this is going to happen soon. It didn't talk about the 21st century. It's talking about this is happening very soon. Um, the exciting part, the fun part, is this is the only book in the Bible that says you're blessed. If you read it, and you're blessed if you hear it. Now, why does it say who reads it aloud? It's not telling you, again, to go home and read it to your children as bedtime stories. I need a blessing. Listen. <laughs> um, what it's saying is, is uh, John would send these letters to these churches, and they would open up the scroll, and they would read it aloud, much like I'm reading you some scripture, to the faith community that was there. So blessed is the reader who's reading this out loud, and then blessed are the hearers who not only heard it, but then are doing it. Um, and then that would travel around to other synagogues and other churches and other places, and they would read this letter aloud for the time is near. So what is this whole letter designed for? It's designed to encourage and embolden those suffering for the obedience of Christ. This area is suffering, much like maybe some of you are suffering. Um, these folks are specifically suffering um, because of Jesus, because they're obeying uh, Jesus and they're following him. They've become a disciple. It's also meant to stir up indignation for those who defy God and promote injustice. It's going to say, oh, guess who wins? It's going to get you. Um, the other thing is a call to repentance for those who have compromised with the culture. So it's saying, hey, those of you who just said, you know, I'm lukewarm or I'm just hanging out, I'm going to hang out and do it. It's like what everyone's doing. Like everyone's doing that. Everyone talks that way. Everyone cheats. Everyone's greedy. Everyone blah, blah, blah. Whatever the culture is telling you to do. You've compromised. He's saying, hey, you need to repent of that. Come on back. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't being a disciple of God and Jesus. It's also to inspire praise of God. This whole book is a beautiful, glorious uh, moment about God and that he wins and Jesus and what this looks like and that he's relentless about chasing after us and seeking us and saying, come on with me. I want you so badly. I will do anything for you. And he specifically emphasizes those faithful to God are victors, conquerors, and overcomers. And he uses words in this book um, in Greek um, that are noun and verb forms of Nike. Just do it. That's literally where that came from, uh, which is victory and victorious. I am victorious over and over and over again in this book. So as it continues, we've talked about kind of some of the background, what this looks like. So then we see who specifically is this written to that this is going to happen to very soon and quickly. And that's John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Um, these seven churches um, are in places that are intensely loyal to Rome. They're close to Rome. And by the way, this whole book of Revelation is underlying what's going on with Rome and will soon take place because guess what? We're in the future. We know what Rome looks like now, right? It's not full of mythology. What's all over the place? Crosses. 
So just think about that. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. Um, this is also hotbeds for emperor worship. I talked to you about Nero and his successor. Um, they were facing specifically economic hardship, social disgrace, and violence, and even death. So these people that were there, they were facing economic hardship. They couldn't get a job because they were followers of Jesus. Um, social disgrace, no one wanted to have them over for dinner because they were followers of Jesus. People were violent to them because they were a disciple. Uh, they were followers of the way. Uh, and even death happened. People were even killing them. Um, he also uh, was talking to them because they were suspected of being disloyal, um, antisocial, unpatriotic, and irreligious. This is how the Roman government empire looked at these followers of the way and these churches in which this letter is directed at. So now you have a little bit more understanding of who the audience is that's receiving this letter that really wants to hear, are they going to get it or not? I mean, I'm dying here. I'm being told I'm, I'm not these things. I'm not good. I'm not okay. Do I just need to give in? I need to know what happens. And John's like, here's what's up. I'm going to give it to you because I know where you're at. Endure, continue on. So in all of this, Revelation is really about that the people of God are called to trust God. Many of us have turned towards the future to look ahead and say, um, what's, what's going to happen? I need like the crystal ball. I need the future. Have you ever sat next to somebody in a movie that you've seen and they're watching it for the first time? They're like, oh my gosh, are they going to die? Wait, what happens here? Is this really going to happen? I can't do this if this is going to happen. We want to know the future. We want to know what's happening. But what it does is it takes the trust out of this guy. Because Jesus told us too, don't worry. I didn't say that. You didn't hear it from me. But Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Just like the birds and the lilies, I'm taking care of you. Don't worry about tomorrow. And that's like one of the toughest things for us to hear. And we always want to fight for like, but, 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 but. So there's no but in the Bible. Don't worry. Um, the word uh, do not fear or do not be afraid uh, happens 365 times. For those of you who don't know, that's actually how many days there are in a year. So technically, there's a do not fear, do not be afraid for every single day in your year that you could see. Trust God. And we get in this whole thing of we need to know, we need to understand the future. And what it's doing is it's saying... Um, that's not what I asked you to do. I didn't ask you to worry about what the end is because I have this. So thirdly, this last thing I want us to grab is that we um, are not to figure out the future, but to be passionate disciples of Jesus now. We've got to stop getting hung up in the future and if this is taking place or this is going down and be passionate disciples of Jesus now. And that's what he's saying to these people. He's saying, hey, I'm the great I am. I'm the one who was, who is, and is to come. The kingdom of, is he, of God is here now, and it's there. I'm with you, and you're with me. And I need you to live for me with all your heart, and the future is going to take care of itself. I'm going to fly real fast because Jesse doesn't want to talk about next week. <laughs> um, Seven churches. So this gets into chapter two and chapter three. Um, then Jesse will have four through a ton. <laughs> um, and uh, these are the seven churches, real quick as a highlight. He's specifically written to these seven churches of, um, of uh, 
of uh, Asia. You can throw up the picture real quick, actually, just so you can see real quick where they're at. Yeah. Okay, so here they are. They do this nice little circle thing. He talks to them in order, right? So up here is Istanbul, it's Turkey. Right over there on the other side of the white there is where Athens would be, Greece. So this is kind of the region of what's going on. So it's the first church, Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus um, is where John was actually from. He was, like I said, in the front row. And what their message to Ephesus is, is, um, hey, you're kind of just static. Like you're forgetting some things. What you need to do is rekindle your desire for your first love. Get back united. Why aren't you standing up during worship? Why are you standing there with your coffee and arms unchecked? Why is it too hard to just lift out and say, hey, I'm yours, I'm open. Fill me and I'll fill somebody else. Rekindle your first love. To the next church, Smyrna. He says, um, overcome your fear and stay faithful. Why do they need to overcome their fear and stay faithful? Because they're actually hanging in there. He's saying, great job, church. Great job, people who are followers of me. But they're being killed. They're being persecuted. They are suffering in a major way. And he's saying, overcome your fear like it's going to be okay because he's going to win. Stay faithful. The next church, Pergamum. These guys uh, are doing real well. But he's saying, what you need to do is you need to guard yourself because In this place are people that are coming in to give you false teaching of, you need to follow the mythological gods of Rome and the emperor, and this is what's really right, and you guys have got this wrong. And he's saying, guard yourself from that. Don't hear it. It's going to sound, they're going to pull you hard. This uh, next church, Thyatira, don't be, uh, don't tolerate false teaching or immorality. They're saying, woo, this is fun. We can have Jesus and we can do what we want when we want. And because that's what they said. And the pressure is big. So he's saying, don't, don't tolerate it. Don't take it. Knock them out. Get rid of it. This isn't what I've called and asked you to do. The next church, Sardis, he says, strengthen what remains and wake up. You guys are a mess. There's a whole handful of people that wear their church hat, check it off the list, and they go out during the week, and they're not even the same person. Wake up. Grab the few that remains, love each other, and push on. Okay? Philadelphia, hold fast in your faith, persevere. They're doing great. He's saying, continue to do excellent. Continue to seek God. Continue to be a disciple. Hold fast with your faith. Persevere through this. You're being persecuted. And then finally, this church, Laodicea, zealously repent and don't be lukewarm. And he's very uh, explanatory with that. He, he says, uh, or else I will spit you out. Yeah. Um, Lukewarm is actually where a lot of us, it's a very affluent church, it talks about. Um, and they're like, I don't really need God unless I really need God. And then it's like, mm, I need God because I don't need traffic today. It's that kind of lukewarm. Like, I'll need you when I need you, but the rest of the time I can take care of myself. I enjoy some of the socialisms of that, but when it's difficult, I don't need it. And he's saying, dude, I'm going to spit you out. I'm not going to have none of this. What these churches do, friends, is they represent all of us, in all of our faith communities. You've been to different churches like this. You've experienced different friends like this. And he's saying, hey, we're going to get in these places. You're going to experience this. Persevere. That's what Revelation is all about. What we're going to see is that this is all about the present to motivate us to live in a certain way, about present realities and what it looks like to remain faithful in God. Would you bow your heads? God, may we receive a blessing, actually, just because we're opening up this book and digging in deep with you. And the beauty, 
of revelation. As you unveil new things to us through this literature, would you continue to just make yourself known and who you are and how you want to make us new and how we don't have to continually run into a dead end and be hopeless and and suffer, but that you have a promise that you are victorious, that you're a conqueror, that you are an overcomer, and that through Jesus it's given to us. Friends, I don't know, um, there may be someone in here today, and there's this crazy thing that God's been doing, he's been working on you, you didn't even know you were gonna, this was going to happen today, maybe today you've experienced your own revelation about Jesus, and who he is to you. And this crazy thing happens between my mouth and your ears. God takes hold of that and he touches your spirit. Some of you today might be sitting there going, yep, that's me. He wants me. And I kind of want him. He makes dead things alive again. If you're here today, you're welcome to receive this free gift eternal life. He makes dead things alive again. Not just happy. He's going to be the conqueror, the overcomer, the victor of your life. And if you want to receive that today, I ask you to be bold and respond physically and not just emotionally with your heart, but with everyone's heads bound. If you would raise your hand physically and say, yes, I need Jesus. That's my revelation today. Um, so I can notice you. I want to just, if you'll look up at me so I can see you and pray for you. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I got you right there too. Yep. Yep. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I got you over here too. God, thank you for your revelation, your unveiling of who you are to us. May we not fear you, but may we understand you are a thing of beauty, but fear you because you are a conqueror and a victory of our things and our life and our seasons. Thank you for chasing us down. And thank you for the salvation and newness that even happened today in this room. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may-